I reckon just about every Anzac service that I've ever been to, at some point in the service, someone will quote from John chapter 15, where it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Um, we've, we've heard that often. And, of course, Jesus was talking about himself, but that saying, well, it really is an appropriate thing to say at Anzac Day when we're remembering those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for the sake of their country. And they've gone away to war, and, and some of them, usually young men, who have had their whole lives in front of them, have died for the greater cause. For God, king and country, or to defend a way of life, or to maintain freedom, or to protect the little guy who the bully is picking on. They've died for something which, admittedly, sometimes arguably, was worth dying for. But usually it's for something that was worth dying for. But when Jesus died for us, he died for a people who were far less valuable than himself. There's a lot of movies about um, these days where you know the president of the US is there and the secret service are there to protect him and and the secret service agents they're, they're there to protect the president they're the ones they're fully prepared to jump in front of a bullet to save the one who is greater than them. But I want you to imagine this picture. Imagine that someone so hated the president that they tried to assassinate him, but they failed. And then as the Secret Service returned fire, the President himself leaps in front of the would-be assassin to take the bullets that were aimed at the baddie. Now that would be a much closer analogy of how Christ died for us. Um, Jesus didn't die for us because we were greater than him. Um, It wasn't because we were so godly or so marvellous that he died for us. Jesus died for the baddies. We were the baddies and Jesus died for us. He died for the ungodly. And Paul tells us that he did it at just the right time. You know, timing's everything, isn't it, eh? Sometimes timing is just everything. You know, we blokes, we've got to pick just the right time when we ask our wives for that for that uh, special thing we want to buy. You know, if we don't pick the time right, it's just not going to happen. no. Timing's everything. And Paul tells us that Jesus died for us at just the right time. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean, well, at that point in history, that was just the exact time for it to happen? Well, maybe. Um, But I think more so what he's telling us is at that time we were powerless. Right? Jesus died for us before we could get ourselves right. Uh, we were completely unable to do anything about getting ourselves right with God. And so it was at that time when we were completely helpless, completely unable to do anything about saving ourselves, that's when Jesus died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Now that is an amazing sacrifice. As that reading said, you know, hardly anyone will die for a righteous person, maybe for a good person, maybe for a valuable person, maybe for someone we really love, for someone we're committed to. Yeah, maybe people might die for them. But how much does God love us? How much does God love you, eh? That, that Jesus died while we were still sinners, when, when we weren't even worth two cents. Christ died for us. Now, 
That's what we've been hearing about pretty much so far in Romans. There are two big objections that people give for not becoming a Christian. Objection number one, I don't need to be saved. I haven't done anything to hurt anyone. I'm a good person. Well, if you still believe that after reading chapters two and three of Romans, well, you haven't been paying attention uh, because Paul comes to the inescapable conclusion that we all have to come to. uh, All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not one. The second big objection is actually pretty much the opposite to that. Uh, uh, I'm too bad to be a Christian. You don't understand. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I I could never be good enough. I'm not the sort of person that you're going to find in a church. Well, guess what? Nobody is good enough to be a Christian. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I'm not good enough to come along to a church service and worship a holy God. I'm certainly not good enough to be a minister. None of us are worthy. Christ died for the unworthy. Jesus spent most of his time with sinners and when he was criticised for that, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who are they? Who are the sinners? I'm one. A few hands have gone up. Yeah. We're all sinners. And if you're listening to this today and you feel that you don't belong in a church, well, if you feel you're unworthy to be a Christian, well, guess what? You're just like the rest of us. Um, because none of us are worthy. Um, it is for you that Jesus died just as much as what it was for me that Jesus died. What a wonderful truth. If we leave here today with just that much knowledge that God loves us that much, that's enough. That's enough. But we've got more than that. This morning's reading is a matter of death and life. Now, that sounds weird when we say it like that, doesn't it? Usually we talk about life and death situations. You know, death always follows life, but not for Jesus Christ and not for, for the disciples of Jesus. Jesus turns life and death upside down. Life follows death. Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. And so far in Romans, we've been hearing a fair bit about Jesus' death and what that means for us. But what about his life? The life of Jesus, well, that's something that, well, for some people, that's all they want to study is the life of Jesus. You know, the things that he said, the things that he did. And they say, well, these are all examples that we should live by. And to some people, that's all the value they find in Jesus, that that he was this um, some wise sage and, and we should study his life and learn from that and that's it. But you know what, Jesus is so much more than, than just a dispenser of advice. The life of Jesus before his death, well, it was not inconsequential. It was pretty important and we can learn a lot from it. But the life of Jesus, which is earth-shattering, um, I mean that in the true sense of the word, the life of Jesus which is earth shattering, the earth will be shattered, is the life that he's living now, right now. 
Yeah, because they killed him all right. But he lives. And that fact is earth-shattering. And this is something which sets Jesus apart from any other hero in history who might die in the process of saving someone. And we've all heard accounts of brave, selfless men and women who have saved somebody else, but in the process of doing so, they've died. Uh, By their sacrificial death, somebody else was saved. We know about this. We celebrate it every Anzac Day um, and at various bravery awards during the year. We honour people with bravery awards, sometimes issued posthumously because they've died when they save somebody. But you know what? That's where their help ends. They've saved somebody, they've helped them out, and that's where it ends. They can't help you out again. It's been done, they've died, and they can't come to your rescue anymore. And this is what sets Jesus apart. Jesus died when he saved us. But he's not dead anymore. Because for for Jesus, life followed death. And so Jesus lives today and Jesus continues to save us today. And this, I actually believe, is the most important part of this passage that Paul has given us today. Usually, whenever I've heard this passage preached on, all of the concentration has been on the very first part of it and it's been a message of evangelism. Jesus died for you. While you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. He loves you that much. And this is true. And that's a good evangelism message. But I reckon what Paul is really getting at here is he is using this truth to explain something that's even more important. What he's saying is this. If while we were enemies, God loved us so much that he would go to the cross. What will he do for us now that we're not his enemies any longer? That's what he's saying. Do you see the logic? Do you think God loves you any less now that you're saved? Now that you're not an enemy of God? Now that you're one of his children? Does he love you any less? No, of course not. He loves you even more, if that were possible. If while we were enemies he reconciled us through his death, much, much more shall we be saved through his life. Now this is a message for the future, and it's a message for now. We have been reconciled to God through the death of Christ and through our faith in him. That's what we've been learning about so far in Romans. But now he's telling us we will be saved by his life. We will be saved by the fact that Jesus lives. Now here's a very important principle for us to grasp. Salvation, to be saved, has a sense of now but not yet, right? We have something now, but we're still heading towards something. And throughout the New Testament, you'll find phrases like, we have been saved. You'll find phrases like, we are being saved. And you'll find phrases like, we will be saved. So which is it? Have we been saved? Are we being saved? Or will we be saved? Which is it? Well, it's all free. It's all free. 
Jesus has already done the work of salvation on the cross. He doesn't need to die anymore. He's already done that bit. He's not on the cross any longer. And so we can say that we have been saved. And yet, I know that I'm not perfect, and you know that I'm not perfect too. Some of you may be, although ask somebody else and they'll assure you that you're not. Um, We are still being saved. God is still doing a work in my heart. God is still doing a work in your heart. The Holy Spirit is continually changing us to become more like Christ. So we are being saved. But the day of salvation, the day that we will be completely saved, is when Jesus Christ returns and takes all of his children to be with him. On that day, we will be saved. It's been a fair while coming, hasn't it? You know, people even in Jesus' lifetime thought it was going to come in their lifetime. Uh, where's the guarantee? How much can we be sure of this? You know, what if it only has as much value at this promise of Jesus? What if it only has as much value as a Dick Smith gift card? You know what I'm saying here? Um, gift cards, they sound like a lovely idea. But if you buy someone a gift card and they get it for Christmas and then the company goes bankrupt, guess how much your gift card's worth? Zero. You, you, you thought that, that you were going to get to go and redeem this gift card, right? You've got this thing and it entitles me to this gift that I'm going to get and, and you front up there and the doors are locked. <laughs> Oops. How can we be so sure that when the time comes that we will be completely saved? What's the guarantee? Well... All boils down to family benefits and not the kind that the government might promise you. It all boils down to family benefits. On this earth, there are essentially two family lines, the Phelpses and everybody else. No. (laughs) No, sorry. There are essentially two family lines. One family is reigned over by death And the other family is reigned over by life. We have the family of Adam who are reigned over by death and the family of Jesus Christ who are reigned over by life. And everybody in the world is a member of one of those two families. And here's the good news. You can shift families. Okay. When God created the world, the last part of his creation was to create Adam and Eve and he put them in the Garden of Eden and he just gave them one rule, don't you eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what did they do? They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right. And as the saying goes, God accused Adam, Adam blamed Eve, Eve Eve blamed the serpent and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. And through that one act, that one disobedient act, death came into the world. Adam sinned and sin and death is like a disease. It spreads. Is anyone here like me today with a bit of... I was told I wasn't allowed to make those noises today, particularly in front of the microphone. And I've been very obedient, haven't I? But this morning it was still a little bit... I haven't. Oh, sorry, I've tried to. Uh, this morning, Jake and I were both... 
before everybody got here. And but it's, sickness is sort of something we pass on, isn't it? Yeah. Well, sin and death is like a disease; it spreads. Uh, it wasn't only confined to Adam; it spread throughout the whole human race. So we have all sinned, and we're all subject to death. But how much more powerful is the blood of Jesus than that? Just as the one sin of the one man, Adam, brought death to all humanity, the gift of grace through one man, Jesus Christ, is for the many. It is for everyone who has faith in Christ. And if through Adam's sin and wrongdoing death reigned, wow, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? You see what's happening here? Jesus is turning back the clock. When God created the world, there was no sin, there was no death, and on the sixth day he looked at everything that he had created and... Behold, it was very good. Do you know what that word behold means? It means, look, look at that, look. Right? Oh, wow, look at that, it's very good. That's what God had seen. Because it wasn't long until Adam sinned and then everything started to unravel. Within one generation, Cain murdered Abel. And by the time of Noah, that's nine generations from Adam, Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a pretty big indictment, isn't it? That the only intentions of your heart was evil, only evil, no good at all, continually. And here's one of the most saddest phrases in the Bible. And Yahweh regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. You think things are bad now. Things must have been bad then. Sin spread. Death spread. Death reigned. But now, through the death of Christ, we are reconciled with God. We're not his enemies any longer. And through the resurrection of Christ, through his life, life reigns in us. We're not destined for death. We're destined for life, eternal life. This is a life that begins now. It's life for now and life forever. You know, some Christians, I, I think, we, we sometimes get caught up in, in the death of Christ and, and we never really celebrate the resurrection of Christ and what that means for us. And some of us Christians, we, we get around as, ah, I have to be this godly person. And we're not carrying the life of Christ. We're not celebrating the life of Christ and the joy that it is. You remember the story uh, that we heard last week? Uh, for those who weren't here, it was a, a testimony of a Christian man who had lost everything uh, through when ISIS came to town. And he recounted how it was a blessing for him 
because it woke him up. He said, I used to just be a Christian by name, but, but now my faith is alive. And do you remember what he said about us Christians in the West? He said, you're more in love with life than what you are in, with Jesus. Let me tell you, he's pretty right. Most of us are more in love with life than what we are with Jesus. Our trouble is that we tend to fall in love with the wrong life. We fall in love with the life that Adam has to offer instead of falling in love with the life of Jesus. And I pray that we would become so in love with Jesus that we would be reigned over by life and that we would reign with Jesus in life, eternal life, which is the life that God designed for us. The resurrected life of Jesus assures our resurrected life. Let's love Jesus because in his death and in his resurrected life, we reign in life. Um, When Jesus returns, we will be completely saved. Saved by his life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that Jesus lives. And Lord, we thank you that through faith we can shift families from the family of Adam that is reigned over by death to being in the family of Jesus Christ where we reign in life. And Lord, I pray that you would bring the life of Jesus alive in all of us today. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us in this life. Fill us with joy for the living Christ. Lord, may, may life reign.